Welcome Grace Fellowship Church. We are a few weeks into 2021, and I don't know about you, but I feel like I aged 10 years in this last year. But hopefully there's been some positives. Uh, hopefully you've been praying more, you've been reading more, you've been drawing close to the Lord. Um, and when it comes to prayer, uh, in our Axios group this last week, somebody brought up the serenity prayer, and it reminded me of the serenity prayer coin that I got at the rummage sale a few years back. And man, I used to love the rummage sale, not because I liked getting rid of stuff, because you guys have great stuff. And so uh, the serenity prayer, in case you don't know it, is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. What a great prayer uh, for this time. And as we come into um, the second week of our Kingdom of God series, I've um, just brought back to another prayer, a prayer of Jesus's um, in Matthew 6, 9. Prompted by his disciples, um, he responds, uh, this is how you should pray. And what follows is Jesus's uh, or what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And um, what I'm struck up about this prayer is the longer that you pray it, the deeper you come into the reality of it and what he's asking. It's a prayer of dependence and it's a prayer of repentance. And it's acknowledging, Lord, I need you. Um, every hour I need you, as the old psalm says. So, or him. So, uh, I just wanted to start our time off today praying the Lord's Prayer together. So, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I
So today we'll be looking at the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 1-16, so join along with me. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Grace family. Well, we're entering into this series on life in the kingdom of God. How do we 
live inside the kingdom ourselves and bear witness to this kingdom to those around us, especially as we live in the midst of the kingdoms in the world. And hopefully you feel the relevance of this this topic in this moment where we really feel uh, the conflict of the kingdoms of the world this past year and even in the past few weeks. And so we want to live as kingdom people in the midst of all of that. And so we're going to be looking at these big blocks of teaching in Matthew's gospel. And today we come to the first big block of teaching, which is his great kingdom sermon. We know it as the Sermon on the Mount. Really, the ser- it's a sermon about what life in the kingdom is all about. What it, how do we live as kingdom people? And we're going to spend the next five weeks in this sermon. If you know how much is in this sermon, you realize that five weeks actually only allows us to kind of cover the big, broad, brushstrokes of this of this uh, beautiful sermon. So um, we'll just kind of stay high level. And what we'll see is each week, we're going to look at a fundamental question that I think Jesus poses to us. And today's question is this, who are the truly blessed in God's kingdom? Who are the truly blessed in the kingdom of God? Now, the context uh, we see in verse 1 and 2, Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So, he is teaching this sermon to his disciples, but with a view to the surrounding crowds. And I think that's an interesting dynamic. You know, he's speaking to these disciples whom he has just called out of their ordinary lives to follow him, and that's what they've done. They've left everything. They've left family. They've left occupation to follow him, to wander around with him. And they've entered into a life then that is far more precarious in a sense, far more um, dependent than it was before. Really, they, all they have is him now. They're kind of just led by him. Uh, They're depending on him for everything. And it's a, it's sort of a, you know, precarious situation. It's a, it's a helpless situation. They just have to rely on him, which is exactly where he wants them to be. And the the crowds have seen these people called out and they're wondering what's it going to look like for this new little community formed around this rabbi? What's this going to be all about? And so they're feeling all of that. And so Jesus wants to say to them, this is what it's all about. And what I'd like to do this morning is just make four observations about the passage that we had uh, Christina read just a second ago. Um, There's so much more we could say, obviously, but just four broad observations. So here's the first. You know, he starts with this, these blessings, and I think this is the one that we've probably heard before. But what is so clear is he starts this kingdom sermon uh, by blessing a very surprising and very unlikely set of people. And if you look at the qualities of the people who are blessed in this, you'll notice a couple things. One, there are some of these qualities that are just downright undesirable, right? Like spiritual poverty, being in a place of mourning, uh, hunger and thirst, being persecuted. I mean, to, to the world's way of thinking, those are just unfortunate states of being that no one would want to be in. And then the other qualities, even if they're not just, you know, downright undesirable, they're at least unpopular, we might say, or they might feel irrelevant to the world's way of thinking or foolish or just unrealistic qualities if you're trying to live in the world as it actually is. Qualities like, like meekness, Like, where's meekness going to get you in today's world? Qualities like mercy, trying to always be merciful, always trying to to bridge relationships and be peacemakers in this world, always trying to be pure of heart. Um, These are qualities that at the very best seem a little bit foolish or maybe unrealistic in the, the actual world that we live in. 
And so I just did an experiment for myself this week where I thought, um, what would the world say is blessed? Because this is a very surprising list of blessed peoples. But what like the kingdom of the world, how would they describe the blessed people? And what I did is I just took each one of these beatitudes and I just thought, what's the opposite of that? And I put the opposite in like plain language and I looked at the opposite list. I'm like, that's actually kind of what the world would say. So let me just read you this list, what I came up with. This is like the, the worldly kingdom manifesto. Here's how it goes. Blessed are those who know they have what it takes to make it in this world. Blessed are those whose lives go well and who are happy throughout their days. Blessed are those who are quick to speak their minds and quick to stand up for their rights. Blessed are those who are content with themselves exactly as they are, who don't feel a need to change. Blessed are those who always seek justice when wronged. Blessed are those whose hearts are full of multiple and diverse passions and interests. Blessed are those who are willing to fight to get what they want. And blessed are those who are popular, who are well spoken of by the people of this world. I mean, those are ex the exact opposite qualities of what Jesus says here. And I think for the most part, the world would hear that and go, yeah, that's, those, those are the blessed people. And so it's just interesting that Jesus is blessing a very unexpected, very surprising group of people. But that's what his kingdom is all about. It's this upside down kingdom. It's an unexpected kingdom. It doesn't play by the rules of this world. And he's blessing people that I, I would just sum it up by, by this people who fundamentally feel their lack. <laughs> and because of that, who move through this world, this divisive, power-hungry world, they move through it from this place of humble dependence on God. So that's the first thing to observe is just, this is a surprising group of people that are being blessed. A second thing that I noticed uh, was just the the interesting dynamic between the, the present and the future in this list of blessings. What I mean by that is the blessings that Jesus is pronouncing are present. They're in the now, but the tangible experience, the tangible reward of those blessings is something future. So let me just tease that out. Notice that the blessed is present tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are. He doesn't say you will be blessed in the future, but no, even now you are blessed. And that word blessed, I think by that Jesus means, well, you are blessed by God. And what I think he means by that is this, God's favor rests on you if you are this kind of person. Uh, or another way, God honors these kinds of people. And he's speaking into a, a first century Eastern culture that that has this, this value of honor and shame. And that's the social currency of the day. Some are honored and some are shamed. And in the midst of that, Jesus is saying, God honors the most unlikely people. His favor rests on you when you exhibit these qualities. And my, my point being though, he's saying that blessing is now, right? Right now, you are blessed. God's blessing, his favor, his honor rests on you now, which means this, even in the midst of your mourning or your hunger or your poverty or even your persecution, even now you have a present blessing that can fill you with joy and a sense of meaning and purpose. But the outward tangible expression of that blessing is something that's future. 
right? The rewards are all future. Blessed are the mourned, they will be comforted, for they will inherit the earth, for they will be filled, they will be shown mercy, they will see God. The fullness of, of the expression of God's blessing is still something that waits for the future. Ultimately, it waits for when the kingdom comes in its fullness. And there is this great reversal, and the unlikely are seen to be actually God's kingdom people. So the fullness of the blessing is obviously something in the future. So I just think that's an interesting dynamic to be thinking through. If we are to live as kingdom people, then we, we feel both those dynamics at the same time, which is this. We live right now with a present experience of God's favor, His grace, His honor, His blessing on us. That is true. But at the same time, we live knowing that what we most long for is still yet to come. Right? That we, we don't took, put too much stock in this current kingdom. We know that this current time is going to be full of disappointments and disruptions and uh, disappointments and even persecution. But we know that there is a future reward that makes it all well worth it. So we have blessing now and yet not yet. A fullness is to come. Uh, a third observation I have four of these. Um, A third observation was, for me, really, the the interesting relationship that God's kingdom people have with the world. Uh, And here's what I mean. Uh, On the one hand, uh, God's kingdom people, they feel totally out of place in the world. I mean, you you look at this list. uh, A lot of these qualities, they don't belong with the world's system, right? They they might look irrelevant to the world or, or undesirable to the world, or even they might look like a threat to the world that needs to be persecuted, right? So on the one hand, they're totally out of place in the world. But on the other hand, they are the very hope of the world. And that's what Jesus goes on to say in verses 13 to 16 about this idea of, of salt and light. After saying, gosh, you guys, you guys don't belong, you're, you know, you're persecuted, but you're the salt of the earth. You're the very thing that gives the earth its, its zest, its flavor. Or maybe he means you're the very thing that, that preserves the earth from even falling into greater moral decay. You're the, you're the light of the world. You're the very thing that, that points the world to truth and light and to God and to goodness. And so that's an interesting dynamic, I think. And, and what's interesting to me is the connection between those two ideas. It's actually, it's a very intimate connection. It's actually precisely in them being um, different from the world, being out of place in the world, it's that exact quality that actually makes them the hope of the world. It's precisely their being distinct and different that makes them the very hope that the world desperately needs. And that seems to be the point that Jesus is making with these analogies of salt and light, right? He says, think about salt. If salt loses its saltiness, I mean, what's more worthless than unsalty salt, right? If you lose your distinct flavor, the thing that makes you different, the thing that gets you persecuted, the thing that makes you look out of place, but if you lose that, you're worthless to the world. You've lost the very role that you've been given in the world. We looked at the Sadducees last week. as this group of people, and they had utterly compromised with the world to try to stay relevant, to try to stay in power. And they'd given up on their morals. They'd given up on their their theological values and... um, they became like the world. And in so doing, they utterly lost their role as the salt of the earth. So it's the difference that makes you the hope of the world. 
the moment you become the same as the world, you lose that role. And the other thing that Jesus would say, the, the moment that you take yourself out of the world, you also lose that role as being the hope of the world. And that seems to be his point with this image of light, right? He says, uh, people don't take a, a lamp and put it under a bowl, right? You put it on a stand and it gives light to everything. So you got to be different, but you got to live out your difference right in the midst of the world. You don't go off and go somewhere and live that out by yourself, but no, you do it so that your light shines before people. Last week, we talked about the Essenes, and that was another group that they, they wanted to be distinct. They wanted to be different, but the way they chose to do that was they withdrew from society. They established their own little desert community and lived out their light all by themselves. And so they lost that role of witness to the rest of the world. And Jesus says, no, no, I want you to be different, but I, I want you to live out that difference right in the thick of things, right in the thick of the world, like, like salt pressed into a slab of meat, like, like a lamp, right, that, that is shining in a room. So it's, it is in your, distance, your difference, in your distinction, that you become the very thing that you're designed for, for this world. And then one final point, one final observation, and I'll end it with this. It's just, uh, it's an interesting starting point, I think, that Jesus has in this list of blessings. He begins uh, in verse 3 with this blessing. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, and I think Jesus was very intentional in starting with this particular posture, poor in spirit, because I, I think this is the foundational posture of the kingdom. And here's what I think Jesus means about poor in spirit. We don't have time to look at all the other, you know, beatitudes, but I want to just tease this one out. What is poor in spirit? I think what Jesus means is he's talking about people who know they don't have the spiritual resources within themselves. Meaning uh, people who, who look at life and who look at God and all that he wants for our lives, and then look within themselves, and they realize, I don't have what it takes to do that. Like, I don't have the spiritual resources within myself to live out this life that God is calling me to live out in the context of this world in which I live. They, they fundamentally feel their lack, their inner lack, and then they turn to God with that lack. Right? They recognize, I don't have what it takes. And so I'm going to need you, Lord. I'm going to look to you to provide what I am lacking, right? To provide the, the grace, the forgiveness, the mercy when I mess up, but also to provide the provision, to provide the strength, to provide the resource, the guidance, so that I can begin to live the way you want me to live because there's no way I can do it on my own, okay? I think that is, that is what poverty of spirit is. It, it, another word for it is just be the simple posture of, of humility, of living in the reality of who we actually are before God in this world. And I think that is the fundamental heartbeat of the kingdom person. Two weeks ago, Todd Pickett talked about the, the poor in spirit kingdom, okay? This is the fundamental heartbeat of kingdom people. It's a poor in spirit posture. It is a humble posture that recognizes our lack and looks to God to meet all of the things that we lack. It's the fundamental posture, and I think it's first on the list because I think that it's also the entry point into all the other postures that Jesus lists. Posture of hungering, 
of meekness, of peacemaking, all the other ones. It, it starts with a person who begins in this place with God of recognizing, recognizing their lack, has this profound sense of humility and dependence, and then gratitude for how God meets us in that lack, and then who then turns out to the world from that same place. Turns out into the world from this place of, like, I'm not a big deal. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a broken, needy person. And in light of that, man, I've got lots of grace for other people because God's got a lot of grace for me. And I don't always have to assert myself in situations. Uh, I can entrust my circumstances to God in all things. I can share his mercy with others. Um, I can try to build peace with others because that's what God has done for me. He's shared his mercy. He's built peace with me. You see how humility, uh, poverty of spirit is the entry point into all these other postures. And if that's true, I think it's true, then I think the opposite is also true. I think pride is the entry point into all the postures of the kingdom. That other kingdom manifesto that I read, I think pride is the fundamental posture that then gets exercised in all of these different ways in terms of how people live in this world. So I want to leave us there. I know I would just scratch the surface of this marvelous passage, but I want to leave us with that note of humility and just, you know, ask the obvious question, isn't that what our world desperately needs right now? Isn't that what we need of, is people, men and women of humility, of true poverty of, of spirit, who are just humble, faithful people? What concerns me right now is I think so many people in and out of the church at times, um, they see the problems of the world and all they do is they look out there and they start pointing fingers and they start assigning blame. And what we so desperately need right now is people who see the world in all of its complexities and are willing to look in here and look at what's going on in here and sit with the profound lack of righteousness and holiness and perfection that God desires. And in light of that, move into this place of, of great humility that seeks God seeks dependence on him and then moves out into relationships from that humble place. That is, I think, what we need. And I think in the end, the kingdom of God, it's got to start here, okay? It doesn't end here. It's got to move out there too, but it's got to start here. And here has got to start with humility and poverty of spirit then then gets expressed in so many ways. And so with that, let's go to a time of prayer where we kind of deal with what's here. And we open that up to God. And we let His Spirit move in us and shape us according to His kingdom purposes. Good morning, friends. Well, we have listened to the teaching of God's Word. And as is the case, whenever we engage the Word of God, we depend on the Holy Spirit to make it come alive to us. And that can take a lot of different forms, such as encouragement, enlightenment, and conviction, to name a few. So let's take some time this morning to consider and respond to what we've heard, and specifically 
the qualities of the Beatitudes, these qualities of the kingdom person. Maybe one of these stand out to you because you are actually experiencing them in your life right now. And if so, that is a gift from God. And this is a time for you to feel the Lord's affirmation in that. And you could thank Him for that blessing. Maybe there's a quality that you are really drawn to and you long for it. If so, make that longing a prayer to the Lord, that that quality becomes ever more real in your life. Or maybe there's one that is particularly convicting to you and it's unsettling you as you realize that. Again, make that a prayer. When we are confronted with the ways our lives don't match the calling of God, as Christians, we don't have to wallow in guilt and shame, but we can take those things, those gaps, if you will, to God in prayer, confessing our lack, confessing the gap we feel, and ask Him to fill it, to make us more whole people through the power of His Spirit. So let's take some time right now to do that. Father, as your children, we find ourselves all over the place in our hearts, in our affections, in our obedience to you, and in our expressions of who you call us to be as your followers. And yet we know that real spiritual transformation is ultimately not our work, but is wrought by your power at work within us. Lord, I am so grateful that we can be confident that the work you start in our life, this work of sanctification, this work of growing us up in maturity, is something you will not give up on. You are faithful to us. And we rejoice when we see it and see it in faithful expressions in our lives. But even in the midst of our ebbs and flows, in the midst of our faithlessness at times, you continue your work in our lives until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Thank you for that, Lord. Great is your faithfulness. And it is in the name of Jesus we come to you and pray these things. Amen.
Well, we hope you've been encouraged by today's time. And as always, we invite you to consider the reflection questions we'll put on the screen. And let me leave you with this great benediction. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may they encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. Amen.